Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome. We are so pleased that you have joined us. It is here that we will uncover if my guest has had extraordinary discoveries in his life. The theme song for the Rhonda Grant Show is Sun on the Water, composed and performed by John Park Wheeler. My guest today is Eli Marcus, the Up Your Game speaker, co-publisher, and speakers of Expert Magazine and host of the Motivation Show podcast. Join me in welcoming Eli Marcus. Hello, Uh Eli. Rhonda, I am very excited to be here, and I can't wait to help your listeners up their game. Oh, thank you. That This is going to be fun. So tell me, how did you transform your life from being painfully shy to going after your dreams? Well, that's a great question, Rhonda. You know, when I grew up, uh, I definitely was the kid in the back of the class who didn't want the teacher to call on me, <laughs> so I was hiding and yes. boy, I was anxious and I was sweating and, and my heart was racing and the teacher didn't even call on me and I was already <laughs> nervous. Uh, and that's how much I hated to be in the spotlight. So I, what I realized is that the kids in front of the class who were in hiding, who actually were anxious for the teacher to call on them, they seemed to be having all the fun. <laughs> yes. And at some point, I guess it got to me where I said it has to change. And so I started going to every bookstore I can possibly go to and started picking up every self-help book, read them all. And then I started to observe some of the people I admired most, a lot of the comedians of the day, the Don Rickles, who were outrageous, you know, the Robin Williams and the Groucho Marxes and the Jerry Lewises. And I said, boy, not only do they seem to be having fun, but everybody that watches them seems to be having fun. Uh, They're popular. And so I started to kind of mimic them a little bit and realized that the label that I gave myself and others gave me did not have to be a permanent label. For sure. Um, You know, I remember being so shy in high school that I would not try out for anything. And I wanted to. Um, I was good at sports. I was good at a lot of things, but... um, my, it's the same as you, my nervousness uh, kept me uh, from taking part. So how did you, how did you go from uh, being nervous and being shy uh, to becoming a top salesperson? Well, you know, when I read books like The Power of Positive Thinking, um, and I follow mentors like Norman Vincent Peale, who says that if you face your fears, the death of fear is certain. And then um, years later, I read a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Dr. Mm-hmm. Susan Jeffers, yeah. who uh, I then had actually uh, give a seminar for me, I actually flew her to New York City from California to do a seminar. Now, if you think about the title of that book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, right? Even if you don't read the, the book, what you learn from that title is that it's okay to actually have the fear. Uh, what's not okay is to not do something because of the fear. So the idea is feel the fear, acknowledge the fear, accept the fear, but just do it anyway. 
because the only way you're going to outgrow that fear is to consistently do it and then find out that your worst nightmare, uh, which is dying or, or, or whatever, uh, is just never coming to pass. It's just a myth that you tell yourself. So what's the worst that can possibly happen? And by constantly confronting your fear, you realize, you know something, this isn't as bad as I made it out to be. Mm -hmm. And because we don't share those feelings, we don't realize that other people are having those feelings. It's they reach some place within themselves, I think, um, in order to take action or uh, do some public speaking or whatever. Do you feel that way? Well, here's my theory, you know, that first of all, doing nothing is actually failing. And that's when people start to realize that doing uh, nothing is not a safety net. It does not mean that you're avoiding embarrassment and avoiding loss and avoiding fear. You're doing the exact opposite because you're not in the game. And if you're not in the game, you're never going to succeed. So when you think about how good you were in sports, I actually was one of the best uh, baseball players in uh, New York City at one time, but I allowed the fear to get to me. And because wow. of that, I look back now with, with some regret. Um, and I can only imagine what would have happened if I had those fears under control, knew how to deal with them, had a mentor, had a coach, had some philosophy to help me overcome it, uh, learned how to meditate, learned how to change you know, my energy every time that negative thought came to my mind learned how to think more positive. Things would have changed, drastically would have changed. So mm -hmm. it is not a safety net to sit back and not want the teacher to call on you, not to get into the game, not to want to have the ball hit to you. When the ball was being hit to me, my first thought is, what if I drop it? Now, guess what happens when you think that way, Rhonda? Yeah. <laughs> You drop the ball. Exactly. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. Because the mind will gravitate to exactly what your thoughts are. And there's something called a reticular activating system in the mind, which means every thought that you have in your mind uh, pulls your body uh, and the chemicals that are, uh, you know, creating all this, um, you know, action in, in your, in yourself, it, it, gravitates exactly to way you think. So if you think lack, you get lack. If you think good, you get good things. It's, it's the law of attraction. It's the same theory of the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And what I found out that made a difference for me is that the feeling in your body of nervousness and excitement are the exact same thing. And it depends on what you label it as. So if you're always labeling it as fear, I'm dreading, I don't want to do it, then it, you're, you're crippling yourself. Um, and uh, when you see it as excitement, that's a forward moving, moving motion, isn't it? Well, yeah, you know, what's interesting is I've changed my definition of, of failure. See, now I have uh, probably cold called on more people than any human being on the planet. I've you know, known for over 30,000 yeah. cold calls in the mean streets of New York City. And what I learned from that is I used to get very, very frustrated. Um, and you know what happened when you get frustrated? Your mm -hmm. blood pressure goes up. You start to get all kinds of physical conditions. You go to your doctor. Your doctor doesn't have a clue. He gives you pills. The pills make things even worse. Uh, and you never resolve anything because you never get to the root of the issue. Mm 
So when you start realizing that when somebody says, no, it's actually a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing, you can put your head on the pillow at night and know that even though a hundred people said no to me, you were in the game 100 times. You tried 100 times. You gave your best 100 times. So the key is if you give your best and it doesn't work out for the moment, feel good about that because you're setting yourself up for success because you'll learn enough in those failures to get yourself enough successes. And that's what happened to me. I failed and failed and failed and failed until I figured out, you know, something I'm starting to learn what doesn't work and what does work. Exactly. Um, and, and you only can find that out by failing exactly. and um, missing your mark and having a talk with yourself. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? Why did I miss it? Why did I miss my mark? And um and it's a genius, really, mind um, that has allowed you to do that. I remember uh, doing the same thing. I'd have a conversation uh, in sales with somebody. And on my drive home, I would think, what did I do right? And what most importantly, what did I do wrong? And what do I want to take out of my script? What do I not want to uh, talk to someone about in that situation again? And it helps develop, you develop, it's self-development. Yeah, you know, Muhammad Ali famously said, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down to the canvas, but it's how many times I got up. That's the key. So, so many people are dwelling on the failure. They're dwelling on a name that somebody called them when they were 10 years old, a label that they were given. You know, you know, kids are cruel to each other when we grow mm -hmm. up, you know, mm -hmm. we say nasty things. Some people never forget that. They have rabid ears. So it's the people who are successful who don't buy into those myths, who don't buy into the myths that not only other people told them when they were a kid or their parents told them or they told themselves, um, they don't longer buy into that. They buy into the fact that they're a miracle and they're capable of anything. And those are the people that do the best. Wayne Gretzky said it famously, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. So yes. you got to be out there, keep shooting. Do not keep a scorecard of all the losses. Keep a scorecard of the wins and celebrate those wins. Because every time you have a win, you need to celebrate it because the body will then gravitate more to that mindset and will bring more of those wins to you. Well, that's fantastic advice. It certainly is. So how did you end up being a top salesperson? Persistence. Persistence, <laughs> uh, yes. In one word, but uh, to uh, get a little bit deeper into that, what I found is uh, other people all had similar patterns. You know, I started uh, working for the United States Chamber of Commerce selling memberships into the organization. And there was over 500 salespeople, and I was the youngest one in, in the entire country. Uh, and I noticed that most of them seemed to, when they hit a certain goal, they slacked off. You know, they went to a lunch, they stood a little longer, they had the extra martini. That's back in the old three martini lunch days. Yes. Um, remember those good old days? Yes. So, uh, but I was the kind of guy that always worked through. Because I realized now I got an extra hour and a half on everybody. I had the same mentality when I was learning how to ski. Everybody else went into the lodge to get the hot toddies between 12 and 1 or 12 and 2. 
and I was out there skiing, I just figured that, you know, something I got an extra hour and a half times that by five days, that gives me eight more hours. So just by sheer numbers alone, I'm going to outdo everybody. So that was my first principle, but that principle can only take you so far. Then you just got to figure out better systems <laughs> um, because yes. it's all in the systems. Yes. And, you know, Tony Robbins, um, when he started speaking, um, he uh, modeled himself after uh, Jim Rohn, I think it was. Yes, it was. And, um, and he found out how many times Jim Rohn spoke a year. And then what he did is he doubled it and he tripled it. And so he wanted to get the same amount of experience, but he wanted to get it in a short period of time so he could catapult, catapult his success quicker. And it sounds like that's what you were up to. Yeah, there's nothing like playing the lower of averages. You know, if you're a salesperson and you're in real estate and you call on 50 people in a month, say your average is, you know, to get 20% of those people, you're going to have 10 sales. What if you call 100 people? You have the same average as 20%. Now you got 20 sales. It's very <laughs> simple math. People are looking for this thing, this so-called thing called the secret. They're looking for these miracles, right? Mm -hmm. They take courses and they think the course somehow is going to do the work for them. No, you got to do the work. <laughs> the course is just going to give you the blueprints. You've got to do the work. You know, Think and Grow Rich was the really the book that started off the self-help movement. That mm -hmm. was done in 1937, yes. right? However, the self-help movement, the first book was done in the, 19, uh, the 1850s, but it wasn't until 1937 when Napoleon Hill wrote the book. Now, a lot of people would question the executive director, who's a friend of mine, Don Green, mm -hmm. and say, you know, I read the book, you know, three times, but I'm no more successful than I was before, um, you know, and Don Green said, do you realize that in the book, Napoleon Hill 77 times says you must take action. It's not <laughs> enough just to read the book. That doesn't work that way. You've got to take the action and you have to take massive action. As you said, like Tony Robbins, massive action, massive action. Mm -hmm. not just equal action to his mentor, more massive action. Exactly. And, um, but you know, it, it takes uh, that little uh, trick uh, called motivation, doesn't it? It certainly does. And so and how do you motive, how can you motivate yourself if you're just not motivated enough? Like you have to really want something, right? Well, the first key is you're kidding yourself if your goal is just money. If your goal, yes. it can be money, but it also has to be service. It also has to be something that you're passionate about. So if you're passionate about something, you're automatically going to be motivated. That doesn't mean you're going to be motivated every day. And that's why you need a little help from your friends. Why does every great athlete, every great movie star all have handlers and coaches? Now, the skeptical person would say, well, they can afford it. They're billionaires or millionaires. That doesn't mean that you have to be a billionaire or a millionaire to have a coach or a mentor or somebody to oversee you who will keep you honest. So we need those kind of people around us. And we can also get that by listening to audio tapes, reading yes. books, listening to podcasts. Uh, and it's a choice. You can either watch another Sex in the City rerun, 
or you can get on and listen to my podcast for a half an hour or any one of a thousand other similar podcasts. Exactly. And your podcast, I love your podcast. You have such incredible energy and they're just so exciting. Thank you. You're welcome. And that's because I surround myself uh, and interview people that fascinate me and excite me. They give me answers to things that I need to know about. For instance, uh, my latest uh, interview is with the world's greatest daredevil from the Flying Wallender family, Nick Wallenda. Walked tightrope, walked over Times Square, over this little thing called, a couple of rocks called the Grand Canyon. Oh <laughs> and my this goodness. little tiny little waterfall called Niagara Falls. Now, talk about a fearless person. And he wrote a book about fear. So now I have been fear-based, as are most human beings, if not all of us. We're fear-based to some degree. Whether we realize it or not, it's probably somewhere in our subconscious, even if we don't think it's there. And so I wanted to learn about fear. How do I overcome this thing that's been plaguing me my whole life? So I said, let me go out and talk to the most fearless person on the planet, Nick Walenda. Yes. Well, and we have this uh, instinct called self-preservation. And uh, so there's a, he's a real daredevil. I mean, I got goosebumps listening to you tell me what he was going to do. I didn't even have to look at him doing it. (laughs) And it scared me. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing is when I ask him, how do you stand over a one and a half inch wire, however thick that wire is, over the Grand Canyon without a safety net, knowing there is literally one mistake and you're done. And he basically said that he visualizes himself in practice, not standing over a Grand Canyon necessarily, but he just visualizes himself standing over, you know, a three foot, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when he's over the Grand Canyon, it's no different than he's over the three foot thing, which he's done thousands and thousands of times. And he doesn't allow the luxury or the non-luxury, I should say, of a negative thought to seep in. And he doesn't allow himself to say, what if uh, I don't uh, succeed? That never enters his mind. He's trained himself to say over and over again, I got this, I got this, I got this. Fantastic. That's just wonderful. So when we talked previous, one of the very interesting things that you said to me is encourage your, encourage your own destiny. Can you explain what you meant by that? Well, first of all, you either allow things to happen or you make things happen. That's the way life is. You're either the kind of person who lets things happen to them or you make things happen. Now, if you let things happen to the end, once again, you've made a decision. You may think that you played it safe, but you've made a decision. You've made a decision not to set a goal, not to go after something um, because you're undecided, you're fearful. You think you're playing it safe, but you're not because the days go by, the months go by, the years go by, and you only have one thing you have regret. You look back and you realize all these years have gone by and you're no different than you were 10 years ago. So two things you need to do. 
You need to write things down, concrete them. Because when you write something down, you hold yourself accountable. You cannot hold yourself accountable for just a thought. Thoughts are fleeting. But when you write something down and you have to look at it over and over again, you're holding yourself responsible or even making yourself feel guilty, which is a good thing. Make yourself feel a little guilty if you haven't gotten it done. The second thing you do is you need to have visualization. So you need to literally draw it out, even if it's a stick figure. And I go back to a football player. His name was Bo Eason. And Bo Eason did not fit the prototype of an NFL National Football League cornerback playing defense. He wasn't the fastest guy. He wasn't the tallest guy. He wasn't the, the best physique guy. But what he had is, is the best mind. And he had a plan and he had a vision. And when he was eight or nine years old, he drew himself knocking footballs down to the ground. Nobody could catch a football while he was there. And he kept looking at that and visualizing it. And he kept saying to himself over and over again, no one can catch a pass. I'm a great defender. And guess what? He became an all pro football player. He defied the odds. Mm-hmm. No matter how many people told him it couldn't be done. There's only one person needs to tell you that it can be done. There's only one belief system that counts and it's ours. It's your own. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible. And, and uh, those are the people that, uh, you know, people think that um, uh, when they see somebody like that, it's an overnight success. And they don't realize that. I mean, how old did you say he was when he started visualizing these eight, things? Eight or nine. And, and he's got his kids visualizing the same thing because he wants his kids to be a, not only great in one sport, but to do what almost nobody in history has ever done, but be a superstar in two sports. So he's got them doing all the visualizations. uh, And he's also got them making a choice. They have a choice to hang out with their friends for an extra hour or practice for the extra hour. Now that's a long, long sacrifice. It's going to take a lot of time, but you know something? It's going to pay off in the end. So there is a price to be paid for success. And some people just are not willing to pay the price. But if you are willing to pay the price with no excuses, you will succeed. You know, you brought up a good thing about motivation, you know, and people who want to make excuses will always find a good reason to do that. Uh, They'll say, well, I went to a motivational seminar last year uh, and I'm still in the same boat. I'm still depressed. My business still hasn't picked up. You know, I'm still not healthy. And my answer to them is, do you drink water just once and all your problems are solved? Your thirst is solved? Do you eat just once and you're no longer hungry ever again? Motivation is no different from food. It's a daily sustenance. You need to constantly refuel yourself, constantly be around things that are positive. You know, if all you're doing is digesting negative news all the time, your mind is going to stay where it is. It's going to be challenged. If you are around people that are positive, I don't mean you have to be physically around people, especially in a COVID world, but it's real easy to get positivity. Go on YouTube, go on a podcast, read a book. Positive people are everywhere. And so 
one of the reasons I put my podcast out there is for people to use me as a role model, to take my energy, to take the people who are a lot smarter than me that I interview, learn from them. You're going to learn more from your podcast, Rhonda, my podcast, than somebody spending $80,000 at Harvard, maybe on how to live a better life. Harvard's going to teach you how to do a professional career, but it's not necessarily going to teach you how to be healthy, not necessarily even teaching you how to be wealthy, not teaching you how to think, not teaching you how to be positive, not necessarily teaching you how to avoid fear. It's not going to necessarily teach you those things. Mm -hmm. But your show will, my show will. Yes, it's, uh, it certainly will. And, and one of the things too, that I find is you really have to be careful what what you share with other people, because a lot of people have um, a lot of ideas um, about what you're doing, that might not be too supportive. And I remember when I wrote my book, I kept it pretty close to myself, uh, until I announced I did have a tribe uh, that I bounce things off of. And um, when things, you know, is through the publishing process, but it's easy to get down, don't you find, um, by asking other people's opinion that don't have your best interest at heart, really. Well, I'm going to quote you what my mentor tells me, and I remember all the time. It's none of our business what other people think about us. So I'm a collaborator. And I think the more people that we collaborate with, the better the chances are that we're going to have what we do spread farther and wider, which we deserve because we're putting out good things in the world. With that, there's always going to be some people who might be a little bit jealous, who are not going to celebrate in our success, would like to see us fail. And those people, shame on them. That's their problem. But it, it should not be our problem. Uh, because what they think of us is none of our business. So I don't hesitate to reach out to people personally and ask them to share what I do. Most people won't, and that's okay. Uh, the ones that will are the ones that are meant to be, and those are the ones I celebrate with, collaborate with, and move forward with. But to me, it's, it's a law of averages as well. But if I find that somebody consistently is not supportive, then yeah, why would I share something that is going to have the same result. You know, we, we talk mm -hmm. about doing the same thing over and over again. The definition of that, you know, <laughs> insanity is insanity. So why go down that path? So after a while, you do realize who your friends are. Uh, and most people are not your enemies. They're just what I call neutral. Most yeah. people are too busy. They're not interested enough. They're not supportive enough, or they don't really understand kind of the essence of life which is, which is in the Bible, you know, <laughs> love thy neighbor as thyself. And how many people practice that, Rhonda? Love mm -hmm. thy neighbor as thyself. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we, um, we're all the same. Um, what you do to others, you're doing to yourself, right? So if you're loving people, uh, you're loving yourself. And Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so we think that we're all separate and what we do doesn't affect us, but it does affect us. And uh, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, you know, the interesting part with most people just have never understood or realized is when you do something kind for somebody else, 
you actually help yourself as much or more than the other person. That act of kindness, if you're a human being, you got to feel good that, wow, look what I did. I made that person's day. There's nothing better than somebody saying to me, you know, Eli, you just made my day. Well, you know something, what you said on your show, I've been fearful my entire life. What you said resonated with me. The fact that you shared and Rhonda shared her fears and you shared your fear and the fact that you were shy, you were able to overcome it. You have no idea what difference that makes. You realize what that's done for me? All the tea in China, all the money in the world can't give me a better feeling than that. You know, I'm not getting paid to do that uh, act of kindness, but that's what makes that act of kindness even more special, knowing that I don't have an agenda. Because when you have an agenda, it could water down that act of kindness. But when you do an act of kindness with no agenda, and best example I have when I volunteered in a hospice one day, there was no benefit to me, theoretically, right? Mm -hmm. These people were going to be gone in a few days. But I'll never forget one person that I went to his bedside and he had regrets that he was a smoker. And at the end of our conversation, he said, are you going to be back? It would be, I'd love to see you again. Something to that effect. Mm -hmm. That was one of the best feelings I ever had because I realized there was nothing in it for me. There was no monetary reward. And my whole life was built on the false assumption that everything you did that was good had to have some sort of monetary reward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and people talk about karma and uh, karma. Um, the more good you put out there, the more good comes to you. Right. And people sometimes think it's about, you know, karma is a, a bee, right? <laughs> um, and um, it'll come back and bite you if you do something wrong. Well, I have people say to me, I did all these nice things and I didn't get anything back. Um, but I'm not really worried about that. When they say they're not really worried about that, I know it's the exact opposite. They are worried about that. It does bother them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have mentioned it, right? Mm -hmm. There's only one entity that you have to please besides yourself. And all you have to do is look up in the sky. And if that person appreciates or that entity appreciates what you've done, then what you've done counts big. If the person that you've done the kindness directly to has not done something back in kind to the level that you think that they should, that's not what really, really matters. It's how you think. And it's knowing that the almighty appreciates what you've done. Mm -hmm. Well, and I find that um, uh, with me is that I love the feeling that I get when I help somebody. That's my, that's my gift back to me. It's when you're helping somebody. And I find that, you know, people who seem to be a little bit unfriendly are the people that need your kindness the most. That's very well said. Wow, that is powerful. If you can take somebody to the point that you can turn them around to them to say, you know something, 
there are people who will literally tell you, and I don't even think I deserved your kindness because I don't think I was as receptive as I should have been. Uh, but I realized that you stuck with me. I realized that you were there despite it. Uh, that's a great feeling to know that you've made a difference for somebody, but you're right. Uh, those very people who seemingly don't respond well are the ones that need it the most. And the ones where I think you'll be the most blessed uh, if you can get them to, you know, stick in with them. Cause that really shows that you have no agenda and that really shows an act of kindness. Mm-hmm. Simple act of kindness. Yeah. We call it simple, but uh, you don't know. I mean, act, acts of kindness is so out, far outreaching. Um, you are kind to a woman who has children at home and she remembers that kindness. She's kinder to her children. They then have children and they're kind to their children. Um, it's a whole generational thing. It can be. And I think that if we exercise kindness towards others every single day, uh, that our whole world would be so much better. Well, Rhonda, I'm going to tell you a quick story, if I may. And I just heard this story this morning um, on a webinar that I was on. And basically what it was, was, there was a a patient that was uh, having a, or seemingly having a heart attack. They took the patient into the ambulance. Somebody was in the ambulance telling the patient that, you know something, you're actually doing pretty well. You're looking good. Um, You're going to get through this. Don't worry. You're in good hands. You're in the best hospital. Um, We're there for you. You need us. We're just a few inches away. That person miraculously was admitted into the hospital The doctor said, you know something? We don't see any problems in your EKG. You know, we take all these other tests. You're fine. Think about the difference between somebody being in the ambulance with you, calming you down versus the average experience, which is all you're thinking about is, oh, my God, am I going to die? And nobody's there to comfort you. They're Mm -hmm. just rushing you, rushing you into the hospital And the more they rush you, the more you start feeling palpitations, the more your blood pressure rises, the more your heart attack maybe sets in or gets worse. Think about the difference just in a little bit of kindness. Maybe that's how our doctors should be treating us when we walk into their offices rather than just treating us like, okay, your 15 minutes are up. Goodbye. Next patient. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Um, So what extraordinary discovery have you made in your life, Eli? Well, I think the extraordinary discovery that I've made is that there's only one currency that really counts at the end of the day. And that's time. We spent our whole lives chasing money. And then there's the old expression, we chase the money only to pay the money out in fixing our health. And that happens to so many people. Why does everybody get some form of disease or another? Why is there so much heart attacks? Why is there so much cancer? Why is there so many other ailments? What are we focused on? How are we balanced? What really counts? 
Have we written those down? Have we thought about them critically? And it's taken me decades longer than it should have to realize there's only a handful of critical things in this life. Critical thing number one is you've got to stay healthy above everything else. If you're not healthy and you're not guarding your health, you can't be there for other people. Number two is you have to put out as much love as possible. Now, it comes easier for women than it probably comes for men. Men are taught to be gruffer and tougher and don't show their emotions. Men that show their love are men that are a lot healthier, live a lot longer, live a lot happier. So you got to love hard. And you got to, as I said before, if you're struggling to find out what your purpose is on this life, write down the things that you think about most. Write down the things that you're happier when you're around most. Is it sports? Is it theater? Is it decorating? Is it building houses like you do? If you are happy doing those things or thinking about those things or learning about those things, then why not do that maybe as a profession? So it's taken me a long time to realize health number one, love as much as you can. We talked about kindness and be kind without an agenda. Just be kind because it's the right thing to do. And then go out and do the thing that you love most and let the money follow. Don't even worry about the money. It will follow if you follow your passion. And one thing you don't want to do in your life is to have your dreams end up where most dreams end up. You know where most dreams end up, Rhonda? Mm, some of them, unfortunately, end up in your thoughts right before you die. Regret. Well, they end up in the cemetery with you. They leave. And, mm -hmm. They're gone. They're no longer there. Mm -hmm. You should never fulfill them. So look back on your life. Think of yourself towards the end of your life, not trying to be morbid, but actually this is a great role play. Mm -hmm. And think about what you might regret most if you don't do it right now. And the other thought is, I go back to Yoda from Star Wars. Yes. One of his famous sayings, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> so my mentor, Dennis Waitley, talks about going back and looking on your calendar and finding a date on your calendar that says someday aisle. There is no someday on the calendar. There is no someday aisle. If you're gonna do something, you do it right now. If you're gonna stop smoking, you don't tell yourself, this is my last day of smoking. If you're gonna change your diet, you don't say just one more ice cream cone. You do it right now. You stop right now. You get serious right now and you find someone who will hold your feet to the fire. Because if you can't hold your own feet to the fire, you make sure someone else does. <laughs> mm -hmm. Fantastic advice. You are a wealth of knowledge. Do you feel that you've been called? Absolutely, I've been called. And perhaps later than uh, uh, I may have realized, uh, because the seed has always been with me. Uh, why did I go in my teens to go pick up those self-help books? 
why did I start one of the world's largest seminar centers? Why did I do a podcast called The Motivation Show without any monetary interest or monetization thoughts at all before starting what I did? Why did I do all these things? Mm -hmm. Apparently, I've been called to make a difference, to help people to find shortcuts that maybe I didn't find, to help people maybe not wait 30 years like I did to figure certain things out. Maybe people can do it without suffering as much as they have or are. Maybe there are better ways. There are better ways. You just have to learn them. There's so much clutter and information in this world. And I want to be a beacon of light for people. I've definitely been called to that. I know one thing I've not been called for, and that is go out, make a lot of money, eat, overeat, overdrink, uh, and uh, be a narcissist. I know I wasn't called to do that. And I, and <laughs> I know that's not fulfilling. No. So I know the opposite is far more fulfilling. Yes. Do unto others as you would like done to yourself. And as uh, Gandhi says, you know, his famous saying is be the change in the world that you want to see. Exactly. In others. Such, such great advice. Well, you certainly are a beacon of light. Uh, you've um, let the audience know many, many um, things that they can uh, go back and, and listen to this podcast over and over again, because you've just uh, imparted with the audience uh, lots of teaching strategies here for them to, if they're worried about um, making that step, uh, you know, today, uh, might be that day that they're going to do it because they've listened to you. So I thank you so much for your brilliance, uh, your articulation, and delivering the messages home time and time again during our talk. It was fantastic. I thank you so much. If somebody wanted to reach you or um, listen to your podcast, how would they do that? Well, they can go on my website, EliMarcusSuccess.com. That's Eli, that's E-L-I, Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S success.com, or they can listen to me literally on any podcast listening platform, whether it's iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the organization that you and I are members of. You can listen to me on C-Suite Radio. That's C-Suite Radio. Mm -hmm. Well, there you have it. And uh, I would like to thank you very much, uh, Eli, for spending time with us today. I so, so enjoyed it. And um, you're just a pleasure to listen to and to talk to. So I thank you so much. Thank you, Rhonda. It takes one to know one. You are a spiritual warrior. I admire you. Thank you so much. This is Rhonda Grant with The Rhonda Grant Show, author of Magical Forces Within. Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to The Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. 